and let's see Flavion Pratt just shakes the reins at flight line and take a good look at this because you're not going to see this too often maybe never again flight line 20 lengths clear Flavion Pratt takes a hold and canters in in the TVG Pacific Classic well we hope we do see it again flight line he's going towards the Breeders Cup and for those that missed it yesterday, one of the best performances you'll ever see at the racetrack. Pretty special, wasn't it? Yeah. Caller's got a bit overexcited there. 20 lengths, only 19 and a quarter. How good's he gone? <laughs> not a bad not a bad guess. He was right to put some mustard on that because it was, yeah, no, you've, you've done it justice there. A significant moment. First I've probably seen since Frankel that emulated Frankel. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think there would be. Oh, probably there's a... There's a good groundswell of just anti-American, you know, regardless of the situation scenario. But I don't think realistically there would be a lot of people that would dispute that is the best individual performance since Frankel. Yeah. So just to give a bit of context, because those that don't follow US racing, what has he beaten? Yeah, I think, I mean, easy enough to say uh, group horses for starters and group horses that sort of tie in with one another as well. But the second horse is sort of the, the best touch point to the rest of the racing world, if you like, as a Dubai World Cup winner. Yep. And not only a Dubai World Cup winner, but a horse who runs to 120 or better more often than he doesn't. But the truth is he was in a race with the clock. And we know that the clock is king in America. Yep. Pace makes the race. And the Bayer figure for that has come out at 126, which is um, since Andy Bayer's figures went public in 1991, that's the second best. Ghost Zapper was, was 128. So a very well-respected and... Sort of, they take that as I said. I think last week that's gospel. That's gospel over there, and and fair enough because they, you know, you can create those figures with a with a fair degree of confidence. Bayer scale is obviously for starters, it's measuring something slightly different, but the end result is is much the same as as what say a time form or the guys with their long jeans watches are also loosely trying to measure better or worse. I think the rule of thumb out there is that you loosely add twelve to a Bayer figure to get to something like what time form would usually be at. Yeah. So that's Bayer's sort of saying high 130s. I saw time form have gone higher than that, 143. And the way I do things is be very similar. I think the optimal result, yeah, 143, 144, even 145 is a is a very um, sound description of what happened there. Yeah, scary because it, it means it'd pick up and body slam by eight, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it probably comes back to the old um, ratings only tell you how bad a horse isn't. Yeah. So, I mean... It would be very interesting. And, I mean, they're very different. It's almost... Well, you can't. It's dirt v. turf and all yeah, that sort of like, stuff. Is Raffer on... Is Raffer at the French better than Roger at Wimbledon? Don't know. <laughs> Add that to the Dunno list. It's a Dunno, but it's a significantly better performance than what Bayed has put up this season. I think we can... It's more of an outlier yeah. in his sphere than what Bayed's doing. Bayed is an absolute top-notcher, but I think comparisons... I feel like they've been reaching a bit. And he has run in a lot of the same races. He's taken on the same path as Frankel, and so the comparisons are inevitable. Easy to draw. Yeah, well, you said it before. He's he's a souped-up acceleration mm. rather than a weakened Frankel, in yeah. my view, and he's better compared to others than Frankel Baid. whereas Flightline can be um, – that's more of an outlier, and I, I feel like – and then again, it's not really for me to say because I'm sort of more detached from the American stuff. You know, I have a passing interest at the top end rather than a passion. Yep. The right people are saying the right things about that, Andy Bayer being one of them, but also a couple of the US time form, time figure guys are more than happy to heap praise on that and, and some of the comparisons have been with, you know, as far back and as big as Secretariat and, and why not? Yeah. Because um, 
I think that's a performance that deserves to be enjoyed right here, right now. And I was sort of – I wrote something today because I got annoyed because all the coverage – well, not all the coverage, but so much of the coverage and the questions, you know, where to next? Yeah. What's next? Is he going to the breeders? Will he stay in training? Which is fine because, of course, we're all interested to an extent. But it was sort of like this um, – Usain Bolt doesn't go screaming past the finish line to win his third gold medal at the Olympics over 100 metres and people go, you know, what did you beat and where to next? Will we see you at the Diamond League? <laughs> It's like, ah, oh, come on, guys, let's put some context around this one, which was, yeah, because it was big enough and substantial enough to, to deserve weeks of plaudits. Yeah. Deserves to be praised and not predicted, I oh. suppose. It's the first performance I've seen by a horse that I would say would give Frankel a scare. And I I didn't think I'd ever say that. So, figure about 43. Hell of a fright on dirt. <laughs> It went off on Sunday morning, so Father's Day. I'm sure a lot were at breakfast and you would have missed it, but if you have missed the replay, give it a watch because... Surely every father out there was tuned into Racing and Sports Live TV. At the cafe, no doubt. On the phone, streamed beautifully. But the elite horses make fast horses look slow and he made them look very, very slow. It was unreal. So we're very fortunate to... Be witnessing a horse of his talent. At the, the other moment. thing is, he genuinely ran unevenly. He was slower late than he. The finishing burst that he put in to just basically ruin them all down the back there. Yeah, that was something to behold. He, well, he didn't ride him out. No, and he well he was he was substantially easing. Something like his second four hundred meter, like his second quarter was twelve lengths faster than his last. Yeah. Okay. So that his the big burst was early mm. and just. Basically took destroyed them, them. took them all out of their comfort zone and, and destroyed them. And that's where you get those exponential margins, which are um, troublesome for conventional models as well and makes a lot of conventional ratings more of a guessing game than some others. No, it's not the twat ratings, though. Well, you know, of course, I would say that my ratings are the best. Of course. <laughs> but it is interesting because when you get all these um, words of wisdom and pontifications from ratings experts around the world, you never get the uncertainty delivered with them. Yeah. If you like. like, this is he's run to you know 120, blah, blah, blah. but how sure are you? Because that's what really, well, is it what really matters? Well, it matters. they're a point estimate, yeah. There is some uncertainty around them, and with wide margins like this, that uncertainty is much higher than it is with tighter margins, unless you're, um, yeah, there are ways around that, but it's um, it's interesting that it gets delivered like that. We've got, I'd like to think we've got a younger demographic tuning into the podcast, and for those that we're too young for Frankel to give you an idea of how good he was. So we talked about Bayed being a souped-up version of Acceleration. Frankel beat Acceleration by 11 in the Queen Anne. So that just shows how good Frankel was. And if Flightline's rated not far off him, it illustrates just how special that performance was. One performance, that was far from special. The biggest flop of the week came up down your way, I'm going to say circumstances didn't go his way early because what was the Hawks horse doing there? But Circumstances like me making better, making him my bet of the week. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tough situation for any horse to face. He was heavily handicapped. In the Congo, terrible, all things considered. No, he was. He was. It wasn't, as you said, there's um, probably not. I think he answered a question there about him in 1,000 metres. That's probably not his, not his jam because he, as you said, it, it all kicked up underneath him and he didn't have the pace to be crossing them and he ended up out there where on the day it didn't he didn't want to be where he was so forgivable 
to an extent. He wasn't brave in the face of it all. Like it was okay, it was a bad scenario, and he folded tamely in it. You know, so it's one of those things he could have, if he was really, bra- if he was brave and ran into third and was only beaten a length and a half there, he could, gee, that's a good run with things against. Whereas it was, well, there were things against, but he was also poor. Mm. I think forgivable given the stable. Yeah, I mean, I'm in saying that I'm not disinterested in him next time, but he is a long way off his form here. Is it almost? It's too bad to be true. So it's almost good that he ran that bad. Yeah, I know what you mean, and there are one, and I love that is a great thing to find. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sold on this. As you know, I want to back him off zeros. Yeah, you love zeros, but for what? Yeah, this one doesn't. This doesn't grab me. I must say. But no, yeah. oh, you're right. Great stable. Half interesting. It was still a good race for enjoying Rothfire being back in business. Yep. They've done a great job with him to – they did a great job with him to get him going like they did in Brisbane and now to get some reward for effort with a good win. And he did run to 120. So, you know, he's not really been much better than this. Well, I'll tell you what, he probably has been better than this, but he hasn't actually had a chance to put up better form than this, really. He's been to this level no better, but he was probably was better. And now the the question mark for him is, can he can he go from one twenty horse who's competitive in everything, yeah, which he is at that mark? Can he go from competitive in everything to winning big things? Pretty much all that's on the radar now, right? Well, one thing I'm hoping uh, Rob Heathcote lost his phone, and he said he had a contact for the Everest in his phone. I hope he never finds the phone, and I hope he never finds a contact. Don't run in the Everest. Stay in Melbourne. There's so much prize money on offer in the Group Ones down there. Just run in them. Duck the Everest, who cares? Well, they have very cleverly at Mooney Valley made the Manicato winning prize money worth more than second in the Everest. He's going to be far more likely to win that than, than run second, I would think. I suppose that's true. And I mean, the, you don't answer the phone, don't find the phone, just leave it. Keep him in Melbourne. Well, it could be an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, keep your phone on, Rob. The Colin Morikara Award, which jockey flushed it this weekend, came up in Sydney. Reggie Bayless aboard Nimalee, ran third behind Zaki. Won't get it to go any better than that, you would think. Nope, that was perfect, 100%. And you can comment on this, you're Mr. Sydney, but the Sydney track raced like a dirt track. Early speed was king. But he made really good use of, of Nimalee, and she ran basically right up to her Group 1 winning rating, which was nice to see. It was in a fast race, and, and she ran really well, as did Ice Bath, uh, in what looks a Pretty straightforward piece of form to assess on a day where a lot of the form maybe doesn't. You touched on Ramwick racing like dirt. So the talk out of all the meeting on the weekend was the horrendous bias towards those leaning or on pace or on the fence. Is that actually a bias or is it just the way the races were run on the weekend that it would be a perceived bias? The shapes of the races were atypical. That's not how they are usually. It's not a big difference, but there's a difference. And that's what I mean by racing like dirt. It really rewards early speed. So I guess, is that a bias? Yeah. I suppose that that is. I think it was certainly an advantage to be to be up there. And you can just see that in the, the shape of the races. When you calculate the race shapes, you'll just see straight away that they're a bit different and that the way horses ran good time is a little bit different. It's not massive, but it's enough. And especially when you consider the straightforward advantages that on-speed railers get anyway. I mean, if you're on the fence, you've got a geometric advantage straight off the bat. And if you're leading, you don't ever run into any traffic. So you, you're advantaged from the get-go. I always said that. Like if you've got a perfectly unbiased track, you wouldn't get a random set of results in terms of from what positions on the track horses won. You would get a set of results that were slightly 
tilted towards horses that were on the fence and horses that led. Because if the track was completely fair, then the little bits of, let's call it bias, that you would see would be the advantages away from the track, which are geometric and traffic. Yeah. When it's probably playing dirt style, as I'm calling it, I guess that gets accentuated, right? If you do your replays, it appeared no horses made ground sort of, I'm going to say four or five off in the straight. So if you tried to come down those lanes, you're in trouble. Yeah. Is that more about, I mean, perhaps, but is it as much about you just, that's where you go if you're trying to quicken because you've got to go around the horses in front of you. So, of course, you pull out. Yeah. So, but you couldn't quicken. Horses weren't going to quicken in that scenario, which is actually not uncommon for very heavy round week. We saw it during the carnival as well. Where you, If you rode your horse to quicken there, well, good luck. Yep. I'm going to. So those horses that are up and already through the gears and flying take a whole lot of pegging back, which makes you know the whole day was uh, basically put on for Eduardo. It was. Which is why he was back almost at his very best and the highest rating domestically anywhere for the weekend. It was a great rub by Nash. He flushed it and when he gets it, right on a horse of his calibre, well, good luck to everything else. Yeah. I think you can say Nash is made for Eduardo. I think Eduardo is made for Nash. Like it's, that is, um, they're a match made in heaven, aren't they? Beautiful partnership. Yeah. He is the fastest from a standing start going. Yep. Nash is willing to use that without being stupid. Doesn't try to overcapitalise on it, but he doesn't give it up. He would have been great on Red Zell too, mind you. Yeah. Well, very, I mean, very as similar. a general rule, I mean, he's going to be pretty great on on most, and particularly those that go forward and are, you know, high-class Group 1 horses, yeah. <laughs> Good use of horses that go forward. Just on Ramwick, I think two runs to highlight. Given the way the track played, Shawfire and Benno are both flying. So I thought both their runs held plenty of merit. They got back and weren't able to get into the finish, but certainly don't be dropping off them. They were two massive ticks for me, and no surprise to see them up the head of majority of futures markets, I think Benno's the horse to beat in the Metrop and has been priced accordingly, unfortunately, for that. The Taylor Penrith, this will take some explaining because I don't think many came away from the Valley on the weekend and thought, geez, Craig slaughtered that. But <laughs> Please no, pretty, explain. I think pretty straightforward. Craig Williams, Taylor Penrith for Mr Brightside, went too slow. Went too slow. Mm, it was a day, I must say, hard to find them because it was a bit like Ramwick. It raced on speed. And um, there weren't a lot of horses that were uh, inefficiently ridden, to be honest. There were horses that things went against them and had bad days. There weren't many horses that were paced poorly. We couldn't stamp many jockeys from the weekend. No, but um, Craig's slaughter on Mr Brightside gets the nod, only winning by five. But he ran a time figure in the 90s. The military expert who's rated a bit better than 100 and ran a bit better than 100 on Saturday, but military expert ran 112 so he's run 20 pounds-ish slower than military expert. So, you know, Craig, I know you deep down maybe you think you're there just to win races, but come on, buddy, you're there to impress us. Run ratings. That was a very slow fee-in, but not a bad fee-in. Should be said, um, Mr Brightside, 121, winning the fee-in. Probably on the good side, particularly in, in recent years where the fee-in has suffered at the, the hands of changes to the Memsey and the Maccabi Diva. It's sort of been spat out as the poor cousin. And 121 is a strong figure. In fact, in the last decade or so, well, only Hubie Gotchu's really won at running Group 1 sort of numbers. And in fact, the best McEwen and Fian were on the same day. Hey, list, Hubie Gotchu. Not bad. 125, 128, within 40 minutes of each other. 
That was a day at the track. We didn't see any of that on Saturday. What we did see was 121 from Mr. Brightside, which is on the good side of the, the recent Fian curve. Won't be good enough to win a Cox Plate. Horses that have run about that sort of awesome rock, the cleaner, they get found out in Cox Plates, right? But they're good for everything else. And I think Mr. Brightside probably fits that mould as well. But what we did see in 40 minutes there with Rothfire and Mr. Brightside was two performances, 120 or better. And I think we saw four of the six so far this season within that hour period. Zaki, Eduardo, Rothfire, Mr. Brightside. And I think the only others, 120 and better, are Animo and Snapdancer. That would be right. Mm. And the previously mentioned military expert was scraped into the top 20 performances this season with that with that win later on the cards. It was a good win, but Mr. Brightside still shouldn't be clocking in 20 pounds slower, Craig. Lift, especially given how well Craig's riding to start mm. the season. Incredibly, he's improving horses five pounds that he switches on. It's only a small sample so far, but he's having a uh, measurable impact, I think, at the moment, Craig, and his impact value is is huge. I think only Damien Lane and Jamie Carr are sort of up there in Melbourne. J-Mac is ahead of him for impact in Sydney, but... Interesting one with J-Mac is that his impact value is as high as it's ever been. He's as potent as ever. But he's not actually – well, I say he's not. I mean, this is only by our measure. Don't want, to give our, don't want to give ourselves too much credit. But the horses he's switching on to aren't actually improving on average. He's just getting on all the right horses. But that's the number one skill for a jockey, right? Getting on all the right horses and um, he's winning on a lot of them. So – He's probably top dog, but Craig is... I think you could probably say at the moment Craig is the form jockey in the country. Would that be fair? He's sort of the one in the zone. In the country, am I going too far? Ryan Maloney is still punching out massive numbers in Queensland, by the way. Mm. Riding really well, and I don't think he has the market effect that he would have had previously, given the big guns now in Melbourne. I mean, it's such an even keel down in Melbourne. It runs deep, yeah. Mm. I think that... I, I mean, I don't really care, but... You get the little squabbles about Melbourne versus Sydney jockeys. I mean, I like to throw kindling on that fire just for funsies, but it's <laughs> I don't care. But I feel like Sydney is sort of, uh, Sydney's got the best jockeys. It's like, well, Sydney's got J-Mac and he's absolutely dominant, really, and Bowman to an extent. And the other good jockeys, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, you're right. Melbourne seems a bit, you know, Lane, Zara, now Shin, Mellum, Carr. I haven't even mentioned Carr there. And I haven't mentioned Ollie Williams hmm. or the guy who's currently won the medal, John McNeil. So, you know, there is – are any of those as good as J-Mac? Not on impact, no, but that runs pretty deep and a lot of those guys are really talented. And as a punter, we're not having to pay for their talent as much as we are for J-Mac. During that, maybe because they offset each other to some extent. If you're looking in Sydney, yeah, you sort of gravitate to J-Mac, whereas in Melbourne there's six of them, so you can't gravitate to one of them because, you know, what's the difference? You know, Oh, Mellum's off this one, but D-Lane's on, or you know, Jamie Carr's on, and Craig Williams is off. You know, what's they're all they're all guns, right? Which makes your job a bit harder because for me, it's pretty easy. I know who Waller's best chance is just looking at the jockey bookings. Yeah, I mean, I I don't probably pay a lot of attention to that anyway, so it's sort of I make my job easy by not caring about a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, don't you love landing on one of those good jockeys? Oh. Yeah, it certainly helps. Gives you that little bit of more confidence and the hard part in Sydney is when you do find one you really like on form and J-Mac also finds it, then a lot of people are also going to find it. Yeah, you've got to pay. You're not going to be on your own. I must say, as a, as a rule, I'm much, I'm much more interested. I, like I say, I don't care, but I do, to some extent, obviously, 
like I don't make a um, measured change to what I, I do, but as I said, I, I'm more than happy to, to find the good jocks and subconsciously I want to find the good jocks and I'm way more interested. I put way more thought into finding good jocks than good maps. <laughs> as my, t- my best bet in Melbourne the last two weeks has been Pashiro and in the Congo, so you can see I don't do my maps. <laughs> <laughs> but both had good jockeys. Yeah. Good jockeys unlucky. Good jockeys out of luck. The one plus in Sydney, if you don't like J-Mac, you're likely to get a few roles better. This is similar to when Pike was... I think dominating in Perth that if you were anti Pike, you got a decent price about it, especially if Pike or J Mac jumps off yours. Mm. So there are opportunities with such a dominant jockey riding in Sydney. You just got to hope you don't like him. Yeah, the problem is that he's good. Uh, this is the problem I had when I was grinding away in my Hong Kong years. Oh, God. Yeah, it didn't last long. Tough years. But you sort of find yourself, as, you know, the market gravitates to, to Joe and Zach. So you're sort of like, okay, I've got to try and get these beat. And, they ride six of the eight winners, so, you know, it's a grind to get them back. <laughs> <laughs> Very much uh, looking forward to when the spring really heats up and those good jockeys head down to Melbourne because then the jockey room is going to be completely stacked. Might be overstacked. Too many. Yeah. Get ready. It's time for Around the Grounds. So the best speed figure in Sydney was, um, can you guess? Eduardo. It was Eduardo. Very fast, but it is a tricky day to assess. I treated the shoot, right? Well, I say shoot, but the sprint races a little bit quicker than the than the mile races and the fourteen hundred meter races. But even so, and certainly the first four in the card were, were quicker than later on, which you'd expect because it dumped rain. But certainly tricky enough to assess a meeting like that. But it's not too tricky to come to the conclusion that Eduardo was very fast and broke one hundred and twenty on the clock as well as running 125 time form rating. So seventh time he's run that sort of figure. Just been a ripper. Eduardo deserves all the praise he gets. And a little bit like Flightline as well, any chat about the Everest for him afterwards to me was missing the point. The point was that he won on Saturday like that. That's how we'll remember Eduardo. He's back. Yeah. Well, he never, he's never gone. So last prep was the only time he hadn't broke the 120 barrier for Joe Pride? Mm, but he only had three runs and... He won one of them and we're on bottomless tracks in Sydney. One of them was in a heavy track TJ. Yeah, no, he was in fantastic fettle on Saturday, the nine-year-old. Has not slowed a yard. Melbourne, the best speed figure. I mean, it was all going to just be Rothfire, right? Yeah. Military expert was actually quicker. Went really well. Went really, really well. And so, and I mean, everyone knows this about Mooney Valley a little bit. It, like Ramwick, is going to play to leader's strengths a little bit uh, and certainly did have a very similar vibe, I suppose, to, to Ramwick on Saturday. And so military expert probably rode all the advantages, but I mean, Jamie Carr was riding Morikawa sort of zones here. Too good, too good Regan Bayless running third on Nimale, but this was close. 112 from military expert on the clock to thrash Uncle Bryn, who's a, a good horse, and then Sosi Bond, who's a legend. So that's got a... A fast time backed up by some pretty robust form lines. I'd say Uncle Bryn's ready now, third up. That should give him a good platform. Yeah. There'd be an element of, um, yeah, they said the track was probably, things probably didn't quite suit him. At the same time, there's a good pace here and if you're fast enough. Where are you? Run it. Certainly wasn't as fast as Military Expert was on the day. But Military Expert's no duffer. He's been rated over 100 for quite a while. But this was a, and one nicely first up off a slow pace. But this certainly was a, a big peak from from military expert. Not big peak, I shouldn't say big peak. It's not sort of like a out of line sort of thing. But it is the best and the fastest that military expert has run. 
Yeah, got the favours. Good win. Brisbane, the 97-rated seven-year-old Bonaparte, ripped out 103 out of nowhere to beat Snippy Fox and Hasabro, who were both rated over 100. So have to believe it, despite his seven years of age. But there's Eduardo at nine running over 120 at Randwick. So big day for the geriatrics. Unlaced ran to 92 in Adelaide. Another day where I reckon the shoot and the round course played at different paces, only not majorly, but at different paces, for those of you building speed figures at home. And then we can probably wrap this up with the Bruce McAvaney and get all excited. That is just so exciting! Out to Belmont, Rajuna King blasts through the 100 barrier with a very fast time underneath him, and he's a three-year-old. So geriatrics to one side. Let's get on with the new. Yeah, three on the bounce. And he set the ground his last three starts over there. So he only wins narrowly, but on time form scale, what he's done on the weekend was massive to be a three-year-old, essentially giving weight to the older horses and ran down a good horse who has a solid ratings profile. So it looks high. When I first did it, I actually called you over and said, this looks too high, but all the race slots in well with the second, third and fourth horse. So on that, I'd say he's one of the highest rated three-year-olds in Perth and I don't think many would have him in that slot. So he's done it so early, which is the one little question mark now is where does he go from here? Because that figure has him right in the hunt in the three-year-old features at the end of the year. And very sharp stable, Dan Morton. I think they've got a really nice horse on their hands. Yeah, well, just looking at the the figure you're... uh hurling up there we're only just on the back of giga kick zoo gotcha as like eastern winners you know sweet ride admittedly that was a a very low rating san domenico but for a horse in a nondescript handicap over in perth to be getting up into that not quite touching him off but getting up right around those those sort of horses i mean giga kicks held in high regard in melbourne zoo gotcha i think is good filly and we saw north star lass come out and run similar number to win on saturday from behind her so that forms solid and you're putting him right in the, the thick of that action. so Which sounds wrong when you put it like that. But the more you look at the race and when you set the ground, what more do you want a horse to do? So, yep, serious performance. Put him in your black book. Very interested to see where they go with him because off that figure, he is a massive chance in those three-year-old races, if not later in the year. So before we go then, I should ask you know, the boom filly then. Where is she? And are they... Is this all about to happen? Is this all about to unfold in the West? It's coming, the pinnacles. So she'll take the usual path towards the Kingston town. So she'll run in the Champions Phillies. I don't think she'll run in the Guineas, but she'll run in the Burgess Queen. So she'll take the 14 mile. So in terms of her preparation, I know the the Northerly, formerly Kingston town, is a likely grand final. Three-year-olds have a really good record in that race. How she gets there, Simon Miller, I think, still got to map out, but I imagine she'll follow the logical progression on the way there, whether she runs in the guineas. But Arcadia Queen is probably KC. They've obviously done the double going into the Kingston town. So if you look up them, I'd imagine she's going to follow a fairly similar. And so Rajuva King, he presumably stays away from the Phillies then and the Colts might be the easier way the easier way through for him, duck the fillies. Yeah, well, they're going to hope that she doesn't run in the WA Guineas because if she doesn't, I think off that performance, he's the one to beat. 